This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome to the show today. I had a fella reach out to me, his name is Coach HP. Coach Hector Pinate. he goes by the most positive man on the internet. He works with kids and parents, probably parents more than kids, honestly, that are high level in baseball. High-level athletes thinking about taking it to the college level, the D1 level, and to the professional level. He's had a tremendous amount of success with this, and the reason why is he's got, uh, he works with kids on more than technique. We have a great conversation about mindset, his story, and how he's working with kids to allow them to maximize their potential and go to the next level, or realize that there are lessons from a sport that they can learn and take into life and apply those into their life to be happy and successful. I love his mindset. I love his approach. And here we go with Coach HP. What's up, everybody? It's your coach. I'm here at the Tom Rowland Podcast, ready to go. Tom, let's do it. All right, Hector, Coach HP, how you doing, man? Dude, I'm doing great, dude. How about yourself? So good. So good. I enjoyed uh, being on your show the other day, and l- I'm glad to have you on mine. Dude, I'm pumped. All right, Coach. Uh, one of the things that we do on on the podcast here, new new thing that we've been doing is is the one-minute hot seat. Ready to it. go? Yes, sir. Chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Sand or snow? Sand. Text or call? Call. Coffee, tea, or energy drink? Uh, neither. None. No caffeine. None. No. Wow, good for you. Dessert or no? Uh, no. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? I like breakfast. I'm a <laughs> breakfast guy. Even though I don't eat it, but I like breakfast. <laughs> Me too. The idea uh, of breakfast. Would you rather have a million right now or 10 million in five years? A million right now. Oh, uh-huh, an interesting answer. One thing that scares you? One thing that scares me, uh, not being able to help somebody. A movie that makes you laugh. A movie that makes me laugh. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> Something you're proud of. Being the most positive person on the internet. Like it. A place you like to visit. My brain. Uh, a favorite dinner. Favorite dinner has to be a churrasco, some kind of steak. Nice. Uh, iPhone or Android iPhone. Okay, and because of the last conversation that we had, Jake Paul or Conor McGregor in a boxing match? Jake Paul. Then uh, that one's an interesting one, but uh, oh, that's good. So good. Who wins or who do I like? Who wins? Who wins? I think I think Jake would take that. 
because of the the size difference and stuff. Ngano or Fury in a boxing match? I will go Fury. Ngano would have to prove that he can beat the the guy. Tyson Fury just has to stay out of the way for about two minutes. A little bit, you know, and it's 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 hard, man. Boxing it looks easy. I know MMA is harder, but it's it's hard for know. a reason. It's it, you got to fight in the rule set. Chandler McGregor MMA. McGregor. Hmm. I know Chandler's your boy, but I love McGregor. <laughs> I like both of them. I, I really do. All right, so that's it. You made it through. And interesting answers. Uh, See that? One of the one of the interesting answers was a million now or ten million in five years. Yes. You were very certain a million right now. Yes, sir. Why? Why would you? Why would you say that? Because the, as you know, the future is not guaranteed. Right. We have right now. We can control is our effort and attitude today. And you could do a lot of stuff with it today that five years from now, whatever time, we don't know exists. So that's, uh, to me, that's very easy. Yeah, I like it. And then uh, no caffeine and no dessert. Yes. Good for you. I'm, a, I'm an ex, uh, so I've never drank alcohol in my life, Tom. So but I have nothing against people that drink, but I've never drank. But I used to love uh, a big Pepsi guy, Coke guy. I, I love soda, dude. And I haven't, I've lost like four probably like 35 pounds really? because I stopped drinking that and I got clean with my stuff, but I've never been a coffee guy. Even those Cubans who do cafe con leche was like, I like latte and stuff, but I'm not a big coffee guy, believe it or not. Well, Cubans have good coffee. Yes, we sir. had a coffee stand right down the street from my house on, on uh, Catherine street. Uh, it was on white street, the M and M laundry in Key West. They made the best cafe con leche ever. Nice. And, uh, you know, you get the, you get the, the Bucci, the little sip, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's good stuff, although it has a tremendous amount of sugar in it. Yes. So, Coach, how did you become the most positive man on the Internet? When, Tom, when when I started doing this, unlike you, I've been doing, by the way, congratulations, you're almost at 1,000 episodes, right? 800. Yep. 800 dude, you're, that's, that shows your tenacity. <laughs> I started doing this later on in life, probably when I was 37, 38, that I started to do content. And... I realized and I began to really appreciate other people's techniques and what they were offering, whether it was a fish person or it was an entrepreneur or it was a fighter. And I saw everybody's thing and I always said, man, what's going to be my thing, right? And one of my real good friends, the guy, uh, do you follow, did you follow the Home Run Derby? Uh, no, did not. Do, do you know who Pete Alonso is by any chance? I don't think so. I'm not a he's, big baseball fan, but he's the first baseman for the Mets. Okay, and he he was crushing. He didn't he didn't do good this one, but my boy was his uh, pitching coach. He's been around forever, the Naples guy. And he one day I called him up, and he's he's older. He was uh he's been in the big leagues forever, and one of the most respected guys in baseball. And I called him and I go, Jossie, let me ask you a question, man. I was uh, making a transition from Vegas to start working with, with kids and stuff and with people. And he goes, dude, what, what is my thing? You know, like, what is my thing? Like, what do you think is my thing? And he goes, he goes, actor, it's easy, man. You're a relationship guy. You're a relationship person. So then I listened to that. I said, that's interesting. But when people think relationships, they probably think like man, woman relationship, right? Like relationship expert, that kind of thing. So I put a little twist to it. And I said, if I could be the most positive person, but in an honest way, with using my flaws and where I messed up, Tom, and in a real way, be myself, and even in times that I wasn't myself, and be able to analyze that and why was that work and why didn't this work now? 
And I really leaned into that. And I think even though it's not a, it's not the sexiest way, it's not the quickest way either, but it's my way. Mm-hmm. And it has helped me so many times get into the biggest doors in the world because and I, and I tell this to so many parents because as parents, when their kids are entering or going level high, higher to like a school to play for a team that everybody wants to play for, I tell the parents, I go, listen, unless your kid's the best, you got to go a little bit above and beyond without kissing anybody's ass. I'm not telling you to do that, but you got to go a little bit above and beyond and so that when your kid has that opportunity, it, you, it's a more welcoming than if nobody knows who you are. So probably because nobody knew who my dad was in a sense that he didn't do any of this. I've always felt the need to, I got to like, if I'm going to ask Tom for a favor, I'm going to do five things for him. And in today's society, you don't see that a lot because obviously because of the gratitude and the ways everything is set up. So that has been the core of my message. Tom is always that is how can I help somebody out? Sometimes I'm sure it might. It creeps some people out because I do it too soon and I get it. You know, like, I've never met this guy before. Why is he helping me in this, 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 and that? But it's been my MO and the positivity around that Tom has been the center of everything. That's fantastic. Um, how did you get into uh, coaching kids at, at extremely high level in baseball? So because of my failures, I've always ran away from the sport because I've always said uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a victim of sports abuse. My dad beat me up relentlessly because of it. A lot of uh, uh, of house abuse, dealing with the sport, on the field abuse. Everybody saw it. My mom, my sister, but nobody, nobody did anything. You know, I was the baby. I'm the youngest one. So I always felt that for some weird way, that was my calling. While not being, Tom, like a big fan of baseball. I'm not like, I don't watch baseball. I, I never watch baseball, but it always tied me into a way that I can connect with with kids. And then I started to notice that parents were being isolated in the process of kids. And then parents were being asked to pay a lot of money, but then they weren't being involved and they weren't being included. So it'll be like me now going to renting a boat and three fishing rods and trying to do fishing and then have people critique me, but I don't know. And then I notice also that parents don't ask questions. They think they know it all. So both sides were losing. The kids were losing because they didn't have the right help. The parents were losing because people thought they were thought of them being unbearable. They had a right. Also, they were paying a lot of money. So they felt right. So it, I don't, I felt it wasn't an even exchange. And I've always thought that, but then I, I left Miami to go live in a car in Los Angeles. The professor who, this is crazy. The professor who I lived with, uh, took one class with him, was the first person I talked to six months after being in my car. Ironically, when Helen Hunt won her Academy Award for As Good As It Gets, she thanked him. I sat there, and his first class, he's wearing a retro Houston Astros baseball jacket. Hmm. And he does a baseball analogy. And he happens to be from Corpus Christi, Texas, and he was a huge baseball guy. So I raised my hand. I go, Professor, you're absolutely right. I used to play baseball, this, this, and that. So it's always helped me to the point that in Beverly Hills, I started to become a baseball coach. It made me a celebrity baseball coach because I started working with very famous people's kids. And ironically, Tom, the principles that my dad taught me and the way he taught me, I was able, because I was a tremendous coach. If you took away his problem with me, 
He's a tremendous coach and a tremendous motivator. I took his old school beliefs, but I changed the delivery. Mm. And that has been phenomenal. So I did that. And then I I got lucky. I found myself in a good financial situation and I moved to Las Vegas. And I did tremendous in Las Vegas and the nightclub world there, Tom, for four years. And there was this lady that worked for Jim Murin. Jim Murin was the ex-president and CEO of MGM Resorts International. Coincidentally, went to Harvard, played baseball. And we were speaking and his assistant was a lady who was a reborn Christian lady, Mexican lady, Angelica Garcia. And she's very spiritual. And she goes to me, she's calling me Cubanito. She goes, listen, Cubanito, do you see this whole Vegas thing you got going on? And Tom, I was in heaven, man. To me, Vegas was meant for me. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I'm a very controlled gambler. Vegas, to me, I'm a people guy. It was the best, the best. My dad was the first time he was proud of me. Every, all the chefs were my friends. Everybody wanted to come to the club. It was amazing. And she goes to me, you think you're going to do this nightclub thing forever? She goes, nah. She goes, you're going to be end up working. You're going to end up working with kids. Hmm. She knew. And that. I go, Angel, you're crazy. I will never leave Las Vegas. And it took me four years. And in the fourth year, Tom, believe it or not, I felt the man upstairs talking to me, telling me the legend is not going to die in a Las Vegas nightclub, just walking around there. And, and it hit me. I came here, and at 37, 38, I started vlogging and talking about my story. Tom, everybody hated on me, my friends, people that I knew. Even my wife was like, what, what is this guy doing, you know? And I wasn't lucky enough like you to have been a producer and a whole team behind you and all that. I had to learn through iMovie. And I spent, I would, I would do eight baseball lessons a day, an hour, in the sun here in Miami. And then I would edit till 3, 4 in the morning on iMovie learning how to do it. And then that's how I started. Wow. So what was it that took you to um, California first to live in your car? What did you acting. think it was? Oh, you were going for acting. I go, I'm going to be an actor. I go, that's it. I'm going to be an actor. And a guy who I did a base, who I, who I did a movie with, he casted me in this movie and it went to the Santa Monica Film Festival. And I got nominated for best actor. Wow. And I won, so I was like, this is a sign. So I became obsessed with Los Angeles, and I studied Los Angeles, and I read books. At the time, there was no internet. There was no YouTube, none of this stuff. It's 2006, so there was no internet use of, of that caliber. And when I was in my car, I really, number one, when when people leave their comfort zone, Tom, and you see this a lot probably in what you do, it changes the trajectory of your whole life. And when I did that, it put myself and the belief in myself in incredible, and I mean incredible, uh, place and an incredible place of empathy. Of I was so proud of myself for doing what I was doing because I thought I was moving to sunny California. And I moved in January because it was pilot season. Tom, at nighttime, it was 50, 40, 50 degrees, 40 degrees sometimes. And I'm in a 2006 uh, Toyota Corolla. I didn't even think of going to Walmart and buying a blanket or anything. So I would freeze my ass off there at night. I'm six foot two. Sometimes my foot would fall asleep and it had never happened to me before in reverse to the point that one time I stood up and my ankle, that's how numb my leg was. My ankle hit the floor and I fell. And right away my brain said, okay, I'll get my leg out. You know, I was half asleep. 
I will get my leg amputated, my bottom part. I'll still, I can still act. And it was just, I would just always be, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And that mindset and that way of thinking really put me on a different level. It almost like I became, you ever heard of the secret? Oh yeah. I became the secret before the secret was popular because I would talk to people about this and it was like, man, why are you so happy? And it was probably why, because I was enslaved for such a long time here in Miami that I was just so happy to be free and walk around and do whatever I wanted. So I put that mindset, Tom, in everything I did and I couldn't go a whole night sleeping. So I would, let's say I would try to sleep at 10 o'clock. I'd wake up around 12. Then I'd go to sleep again and I wake up around two, then three. And I always knew if it was like around five or six, I was good because the sun was coming up. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I developed that pattern over and over again. Wow. And then what changed to take you to Las Vegas? <laughs> you ever watch a show Entourage? Yeah. So I started driving around my boy, Kevin Connolly, who plays E. Okay. So I became his designated driver. And I'm driving him around and I'm driving him around. And he goes to me, he goes, dude, to be honest with you, you know what town you'd be great at? You'd be great at Las Vegas. Because your personality, the way you are, you don't drink, all this stuff. I was like, man, that's interesting. And I had met my whole life, well, growing up, I had been compared to Stephen Bauer, my old from Scarface, uh -huh. when I had hair and this whole thing. And I met him, and ironically, remember, I'm Cuban, he's Cuban, his story's huge. He lived with me in an air mattress for four months. <laughs> and in high school, Tom, I would recite, or my buddies, we would recite Scarface to each other the whole time with the accent, with everything. I didn't know that probably 10 years after some of that, me and him would be reciting actual Scarface lines while we would be getting ready to go out. <laughs> and with him, I really learned what an actor was. He's a tremendous actor. He had a lot of personal issues with, uh, with, with substances and stuff like that. And he's still a beast, but he's really, really, really good. And there's a lady named Stella Adler. Have you ever heard of her? Uh-huh, yeah. She discovered Marlon Brando. She's a beast. She was obsessed with him. She's like, you're the next guy. You're the next guy. And he took me to a couple plays and I hung out with him and I realized what a real actor was. And I go, I'm not this. Mm. I go, I'm not, I, I, I'm not prepared. And I was already like 28 years old. I wasn't like 18. So I go, this is not me. And this guy's obsessed with the dialogue and the plot and the this. And I wasn't, you know? So I go, no, no, this is something different that I'm looking for. So I started, I started to realize Los Angeles, I never thought I'd leave LA either. Los Angeles isn't. And that's what drew me to Vegas with a friend of mine that started doing uh, club work for Vegas in Los Angeles, who was the number one club guy in Miami. Hmm. That I had looked at uh, pictures of him on Ocean Drive when I was in high school. And I lived with him. Someone like the man upstairs always has put me in places of people that will predict my future without me knowing or wanting it. But I saw certain things and I always thought it was something, but it wasn't, but it was something different, you know? Cause my whole life, Tom, my dad worked for Pepsi and he was a blue collar guy. And I thought that the reason why I was getting abused or my life wasn't good, it was because of money. Mm -hmm. So I always thought everything was money. And then in Beverly Hills, I got put in front of the most successful people you've ever seen in your life. And then I realized that it's not about money. Even though money's awesome, money's great, but it wasn't about money. I was, I was working with families that were staying in $30 million houses and the mom never came one time to see me work, train the kid. Wow. Because what I realized about money is if you 
if you take away that element of wanting to to do the day-to-day, which is wake up, work out, do a cold plunge, read a book, write a bot, whatever it is. When when you have an extremely uh, uh, a huge amount of money and you don't do regular things, you live 24-7 in your brain, but you're always looking at what you don't have mm-hmm. or what's missing. So it's very negative. And these people, a lot of these people couldn't get out of bed because they were just so deep in their problems. And that's where addiction and pills and this and that. And I was like, this is so sad that these people live this way in these beautiful houses, beautiful opportunities and everything. So I really started to notice that. So when I came back to, to Miami, I started to preach that to so many people. And in Vegas, I was real lucky, Tom, because I had the highest theoretical player in the history of Las Vegas. Did we talk theoretical play? You know what that is? No. So Vegas rates you. Elon Musk can go to Las Vegas right now and he could deposit a billion dollars into account. That means nothing to Vegas. Vegas rates you on a two-step formula. The amount of time you're playing. So the amount of time you're sitting at the table playing plus the your highest average hand. So the more you play and the longer you play equals how much Vegas loves you. So in that time, a dude like me, they used to take the yellow bus, the public school bus to school and sit in a bus stop and stuff like that and thought everything was money. I had the highest theoretical player in Las Vegas at the time, a dude that would play roulette, you know, the one with the little ball that mm-hmm. you pick a number, yeah. red red yeah. or, or black. He was averaging 330000 a spin. What? Okay. Wow. $4 million line of credit. And I was his right-hand man for this whole run. That meant that everything I did in Vegas with him was free. So I saw every single Mayweather fight front row, Mayweather Canelo, Mayweather, all of them. Every club we went to, everything was free. Everything was comped. And I saw the swing of money and just everything of flow through me and I would see it. And the good thing is when you're sitting with these guys, they tip you when they do well, right? Yeah. And it's not like the beauty of gambling is it's not like they go to an ATM and take out money. So you're betting 330000 a spin. When you win, you win an insane amount. So for these guys, Tom, it's nothing for them to grab a chip and give you $10,000, $20,000 in chip. You just put them away and you just, the night keeps going, you know? So (laughs) that changed my whole perspective on everything. Wow. One of the things that you just said there was super interesting about you going as an actor, as a wannabe actor and seeing what what a real actor does and what that looks like. How does that... How do you see that as as a kid that wants to play D1 baseball or D1 lacrosse or D1 wrestling or some sport in high school and they are laser focused on that, but they've never seen it? How much do you think that would help them to go and see what a day in the D1 life looks like? And do you suggest that? Is that something that that kids do? And how often, I guess, do they get there and do exactly what you did with acting like? This is not what I want. Yeah. Um, it's everything. So it's it's funny. The D1 world has changed. I did a thing about, about it today because I get, I get asked by so many parents what to do, what to do. And it's really changed because are you familiar with the portal and yeah. what that is? Yeah. So the portal has changed baseball completely to the point that let's talk a little baseball here. So the best pitcher in college baseball this year went number one overall in the draft. The dude signed for $9.2 million with the Pirates. This guy was at LSU. 
LSU won the national championship. He transferred from Air Force. Not a powerhouse in baseball at all, like nothing. But it goes to show you how these teams now are almost like the Yankees because they're like Lego puzzles that you get put in. Their third baseman, which was an intricate part of them winning the championship, that kid transferred from NC State. So it changes. It has changed everything now to where if you are a senior in high school, you really have to think where you're going to go, especially if you're going to go Division One, unless you are a complete monster. And a monster these days entails so many things, Tom, because number one, are you physically and athletically a Division One athlete? That's number one. The metrics now will let you know. It's almost like if I, if I say, oh, yeah, I'm a Division One fisherman, you're like, okay, buddy, how many fish do you catch? What are your rates per minute? Right. Or if I'm a Division One, uh, what is this thing called that you guys do? Um, the way a uh, CrossFit guy, yeah. you know how many pull-ups? Everything's calculated by numbers, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So if you're going to go, I'm a Division One, let's say, pitcher. Okay, every Division One pitcher now, in an average, is throwing an insane amount of speed. So you're looking at, if you're looking at a top school, are you in high school already throwing 95 plus? That's so if you're throwing 86, you are not a division one starter. Now, if you're lefty, so you have to now look at all the intangibles of everything. And then you have to compare yourself with the speed with my, now they started calculating recently what's called exit velocity off a bat. So if you're not hitting at 95 miles per hour or higher, you're not at that level. And the project, so all these things have gotten so numerical, which is good and it's bad. It's bad, Tom, because we forget now what, when we chase numbers, just like we chase money, we forget what? Fundamentals, mindset, approach, humanity, passion, heart. Now everything is, let me just go. Let me just go. So if I'm fishing, right, and I'm there, and the goal is to outfish Tom, and that's it, what's going to happen? Am I going to really take care of the fish? Am I going to take care of my boat? Am I going to follow the rules? Am I going to project myself for longevity? Right? So that's the interesting thing about being a Division One athlete now. Are you going to play? Are you going to enter a system? That's going to play. I know about seven guys that played Division One last year that all went to the portal and now found other schools. So now you're going back and forth and back and forth, which at our era, we didn't do that. Right. So as a, and I remember every time you transfer from a school, there goes credits because not every school has that. It's now money. It's now you got to leave a dorm to go to a different place, a new situation. So the new athlete now is a whole different thing than what an athlete used to be. So absolutely, I would encourage everybody to communicate, to talk to the manager, to talk to somebody, to talk to a parent, talk to, hey, listen, I'm thinking of this. What do you think? Oh, this is the process. This is the way. Versus being invited to generic things, Mm. paying money, and unless you really pop, they're going to tell you, yeah, this this is what you need to work on, and see you later. We went to a lot of those in lacrosse, a lot, with my son, who thought he was going to be a D1 player. And one of the things that I was asking about is he read this article in, there was like a lacrosse magazine, and it followed by the minute what, what a 
what a D1 player did uh, uh, by name. Like this is this kid did this. Woke up at this time, did this. Then then my son noticed 15 minutes social time, and then it was training room. Then it was watch films, and then it was second practice of the day. Then it was dinner. Then it was recovery. Then it was skills. Then it was on and on and on and on. And he just was like, I don't I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't. Which is do awesome. That. Yeah, which I mean, is what I great. tell people. We don't need Tom. The world doesn't need more lacrosse players. Right. We need more happy, positive dudes <laughs> that are willing to understand, to communicate, to help society, especially with the woke culture of what's happening now. We need to help young men. That's why sports is so important. Yeah. Because it lets us fail without losing our lives. Right, so it, it mimics true. war, it mimics combat, without with rules, but the hacking of parents of not being involved, and it's majority men of not being involved in the household, in the sporting event, covering up problems the kids have and everything, that ruins everything. I'll never forget. I was at a at my first time involved here. I'm back here in Miami. I'm working at an academy. And I go to the dude that owned it. I go, man, what, what are these guys doing over there? Because I saw the team, the last place team, and they were there getting, giving out trophies. Okay, like, yeah, you know, the parents, they feel bad, so they <laughs> they get trophies for the kid, the kids. And this team went like 1 in 10. I was like, oh, my God. And then all the parents, especially the moms, are carrying the kids' equipment into the field. They're ahead of their kid. All these little things that, to me, weren't making sense. So I was like, whoa. And then the problem with people, Tom, is... They see that. Guys who are winners see that. And majority of them are not empathetic to that. They put that down and they humiliate them. The problem is if you do that, it's never going to get better. Mm -hmm. So I found myself while being the most positive person. I said, what if I can portray a message of, look, parents, I understand why you're doing it. But if you understand the more harm you're doing than good, you would never do this again. I have a real famous story with a, with a huge, huge, I think the guy's going to go to Hall of Fame, a pitcher that he reached out to me to start working with his kid. And this dude got out of the car. And remember, these athletes are gone eight months out of the year. So they're not seeing their kids. It's the first time that his kids were staying here in Miami and he was going back to Seattle where he was playing. So he was missing his kid. And I understand everything. And the guy pulls up in his beautiful blue Lambo. They get out of the car. The kid gets off with a backwards hat. He was like, I think nine years old at the time. Backwards hat, phone in his hand, looking at the phone as he's walking to me for a baseball lesson. And his dad is carrying his equipment, all happy, whatever. Now, his dad's been in the big leagues since he was 24 years old. That guy came from nothing in the streets of Venezuela. That guy's earned everything. He can show up there naked and he, yes, sir, that's what you deserve. But the kid doesn't know that. So immediately right away there, Tom, I told the dad, I introduced my, hey, what's up, buddy? Thank you. I go to the kid, fix your hat, please grab the bag from your dad. Walk over there where you came in and come right back. And I told him, listen, I'm going to tell you something. You see your dad? That guy's earned everything in his life. That's a baseball player. You know who carries baseball players' equipment when they're 9 years old, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15? You know who does it? The baseball player. Nobody carries your equipment. When you show up here, you have to wear your hat the right way. And I'm all about swag. I'm tatted. I love it. I love everything in the world. I love music. But there's a time that we have to do what we came to do. And if we're fishing with Tom the first time, 
I can't be cranking up the music if Tom's like, listen, I, we can't focus if we're cranking up, uh, listening to this and that. This is the goal. And when players, and I've always said this, Tom, I believe in a three-step system, whether it's lacrosse, baseball, you name it. First thing I do with everybody is I set the tone. We're going to hustle. We're not going to complain. We're going to ask questions. But we're hustling everywhere we go. That's number one. After you do that, something happens in human beings, especially kids, that they gain an immense amount of trust in you if you follow that with positive affirmation on the effort and attitude, not on the result, on the effort and attitude, the two things we can control. So I grab your son. We go to a lacrosse. I don't know anything about lacrosse. I'm telling you right now. But I'm going to tell him. What's your son's name? Hayden. Hayden. Hayden, come here. Then I'm going to talk to him in this tone. Hayden, come here. This is what we're going to do right now. You're going to run to your position. You're going to turn around. Every time somebody goes to your area, you're going to do the best you can. You're going to block them. You're going to go for the ball. You're going to keep breathing, and you're going to follow everything you got to do. And let's see what happens, okay? You ready? Let's go. He's going to go out there. And I don't care if Hayden takes three steps and doesn't fall. I'm going to clap him and scream. and go, that's right, Hayden. That's what we're talking about, buddy. Let's keep it going. I'm going to do that the whole game. And every mistake, I'm not going to mention a single thing about a mistake. I'm going to mention everything positive. I don't care if this kid walked straight and like held the club. I'm going to be like, dude, that's how you hold the club. <laughs> After I got you hooked like that, then comes the player development. Then I'm going to tell you, Hayden, you see how you hold that club? That's what I'm talking about. Now, instead of putting the thumb here, now let's hold it here. Because a strong guy like you is going to give you blah, 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 whatever. That's how you do it. Parents do the reverse. Coaches do the reverse. They're frustrated. They scream. So in, in Spanish, there's a saying, in Cuba, there's a saying that goes, perro que ladra no muerde. Dogs that bark don't bite. <laughs> so if you're a coach and it's like, blah, 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 the whole time, kids that get immune to it and you're screaming all game, they don't listen. They don't, no. So I always wondered why me, as being the most disciplined, more disciplined than my dad, believe it or not, but why do kids adore playing for me and they love the way I am, whatever? Because of those steps. Because of the second step and then the third step. And I and I did them in order, not skipping them. Man, that's awesome. I was going to ask you, uh, what do you work with the most on kids? And I think that you just answered that. And then I think you might have also answered, what do you work on the most with parents? Um, but let's, let's finish this up with just, you know, we have parents of all different, interests they got football players wrestlers lacrosse players baseball players basketball players i love how you just said you know you could coach a lacrosse player having no idea about the game of lacrosse because what you're doing is you're you're rewarding um positives and and you are you're in, implying discipline is is really important and we're gonna we're here to do business and this is what we're gonna do that's incredibly good advice if if you have a parent it's interested in their kid. Their kid's showing some sign of being better than their peers, but that doesn't mean that they're going to go to the pros. That doesn't mean that they might play in college. I don't know. What can a parent do, a well-meaning parent? And they're all well-meaning, but some people just have the wrong approach. Completely, it's not effective at all. What, what can a parent do to properly support their kid in athletics? Tom, one of my so one of my great friends, 
and I worked with this kid for, for a real long time. Uh, he is best friends with a kid by the name of Alexander Emmanuel Rodriguez, known as A-Rod. Mm. Okay. And because of his friendship with A-Rod from when they were young to current day, he's the, he's the, he's operations, he's vice president of operations for A-Rod Corp. So they've grown up since elementary school upward. And he goes to me, coach, he sat with Warren Buffett, with you name it, with everybody because of Alex. And he goes, the two things that you have that make you special is two things. Number one, you believe in what you say. That's huge, right? But even more important than that, you know what you don't know. So you know what you don't know. So if I'm a parent right now, and my son is showing signs of being a tremendous spearfisher, but I want him to play baseball, you have to understand, and I come from a baseball background, that you can't hack this. You can't hack anything in this, because if not, we would pick what we wanted. I'll never forget being in the nightclub and talking to Wayne Gretzky and Green Gretzky telling me, no, my son, who was at the time, was at the Cubs organization. My son's the fastest white boy you'll ever see. He was a center fielder, and he was a baseball player. And he's the son of the greatest hockey player ever, right? So what I want to tell parents is know what you don't know. Look at yourself and be like, man, where, where am I good? Where am I struggling? Do I get nervous? Do I get paranoid? I'm always comparing him with somebody else. Am I throwing money at stuff? I don't have enough money. I'm not asking enough questions. I don't know anybody. I don't have any friends. All these things take in the picture and accountability, right? And then you audit your kid. So let's say an example. A world I know nothing about, but I love. I never play it, but I, in my head, I do it all the time, is golf, right? Okay. I have golf. A kid who I used to train when he was five years old, his dad reached out to me. He's like, dude, is he, his dad played golf. He goes, man, this kid's really liking golf. I go, I go, Andy, let's put, put him into golf. Put him into golf is the best. Put him into golf. And he's a baseball guy. Now the kid, and I, and I worked with him now, he's 10 years old, and he's one of the best golfers in the world. <laughs> okay? Left Miami, lives in North Carolina on a golf course there, and he's doing his whole thing, right? So I go to him. Every sport has a thing. The thing with golf is golf is an expensive sport. Two ways is expensive because A, the way the sport is, the materials, the equipment, but also the fact that you need a caddy to play. So two people have to caddy. Either you pay money to somebody to caddy or your dad's caddying you. If you're the father of a, of a golfer, wow. Because that's now, it's everything is a guess. There's no rule. In baseball, you're hitting with a bat, same bat the whole time, unless you make a change, which is rare. You have nine different clubs, different zones, different distances. What do you feel? It's a full wedge, half wedge, a full nine. I don't know if fishing, throw it. It's like a rod, throw it. So it's all this feel stuff, right? But the best saying in the world is we coaches, parents, are the jockeys. The kid's the horse. You can have the best jockey of all time. If the horse don't run, you're not going anywhere. So you have to customize life towards your horse, which is your kid. So if your kid's showing any sign of anything, you need information. You need information. And then you have to watch adversity. How do I put adversity in this guy? If Tom's the best fisherman ever, and I want Tom to grow, how do I present adversity? 
right? How do I get a kid comfortable with adversity, especially my niche? Because, see, the problem is, Tom, and, and I'll go here till I know I said 145, but till I get it, I'll go. There's a, the problem is, in everything, the problem is the middle of the line, the middle class, right? If your kid's a beast, that's easy. The guy's a stud. Everybody knows what to do there. If your kid sucks, that's also easy because everybody feels sorry for the kid. As long as he put on the uniform and his head's turned, he's like, oh, you know, Hayden did it. Yay, Hayden. You know, there's no expectation. But it's the middle of the pack people that we're losing. And majority of them were losing that way, which is not this way. So how do we push them this way while them being themselves? Right? Mm -hmm. We need to practice. We need to keep practicing, keep practicing. We need to, before I go out on the boat, I have to know my way around a boat. That's obvious. You can't go out there, and, and those are things people don't talk about because you can't monetize off that, right? If I'm running tours, Tom Tours, right, and we're crushing it, Tom, sponsored by Black Rifle Coffee, we're doing our tours, it's great. We can't make money off your prep when, it, when you're not around because I might give tours. So if I don't teach you or talk to you about prepping, it always works towards my advantage because of the tour and you're supposed to catch fish. I go, wait a minute, Tom, did you learn how to hook bait? Oh, no, I haven't. Oh, well, no, listen. So let's sign up for four more tours. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Yeah. Because information is valuable. And now with YouTube and Google, you can literally Google everything, reach out to people. I mean, one of my biggest, your biggest, my biggest video, your biggest videos are how-to videos. Yeah. Mine is how to break in a baseball glove. Yours is how to how to hook a a, a line, whatever that yeah. was. What, what was not. it? Yeah. A knot. Yeah. Almost 10 million views. Yeah. See what I'm talking about? So the information's there. Don't compare your kid to anybody else. Don't rush this. The best time to start is right now. If you want it more than your kid, that's a problem. If you're more excited to go practice than your kid is, it's okay. But then that's a problem. So then you take your foot off the gas and let's do something else, man. Let's, let's open it up. You know, man, I never thought about fishing. Put the dude on a boat. I never thought about singing. Put the guy in front of a microphone. I never thought about podcasting. Have him share his stories. Have him learn about things. That's the move, man. That's the move. And then let's see what fate has you, what his hard work has you, because I've interviewed more people. And this is what I talk about. No one's interviewed more first rounders than me, coincidentally. And when I talk to their parents, because I don't care about talking to them, I talk to their parents, none of these parents are pushing their kids. Hmm. Zero. Zero. So, so if your kid is already entering high school and you're pushing him, that's the biggest sign, or her, biggest sign that that world isn't the world they're supposed to be in. Yeah, there's so many coaches for football or whatever that, that they just say, you know, if I've got to ask you to come to the gym, you're not my guy. You're in trouble. You're, you're not my guy. Like the, I, I need to be putting padlocks on the gym to keep you out. One thousand percent. That's that's the person that we're looking for. I know you gotta. I know you gotta go. I uh, I think this was fantastic. I want to do it again. Uh, I I love your mindset. I love uh, I love what you're doing. It's fantastic, and uh, I know that your advice is going to help a lot of people in the audience because they're struggling with being a parent of an athlete. It's hard. I always say being a I was, parent in general. I was being I was a, a parent in general. You know, it's hard. You yeah. know, and you're a guy that went through it because your kids are now in their twenties, right? Right. And being a successful dad, that's the hook, right? Because now you're like, whoa, wait a minute. You have your success, dude. You had a special dad also. You're a special dad now. How do we create? You. I think you have two boys. Yeah. How do we make sure those boys are special? That's right. 
That's the key. It's, it's, it's a fine line. But I always say I was a wrestler, I was a wrestling coach, and I was a wrestling parent. And out of the three, by far, being a wrestling parent was the hardest of the three. A thousand percent. So A thousand percent. So hard. I, I don't know if you saw this, dude. I know you're, you're, you're Mr. Key West, Key Largo. Did you see the orcas down here? I, I have seen the videos. I have not seen them myself, but I have seen the videos. And there were quite a few videos. A lot of people saw them. What, what's your take on that, man? Like, what? First of all, if you're out there and you see that, you say, what do you do? What do you, what's your thing? Uh, the same thing that those people did. Pull out the phone and get every bit of video you can possibly get. I saw one person get in with them. Um, I would not do that because my logic says that they're here because they followed, they're hungry and they followed some food in here. And I'm not going to be part of that food. Right, that's smart. That's <laughs> you know smart. what I mean. Like <laughs> those those things. Uh, you're, you know, that's not like swimming with a shark. That's like swimming with a massive giant dolphin that is very, very smart and might just say, you know what, uh, chicken looks good today. That's uh, some lunch or, or some steak lunch. or or whatever <laughs> they think you are. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Very interesting. I really don't have any idea uh, about you know. If they if they have have been seen here before or how many times or if that's a super irregularity. I mean, it's not something people see regularly. Right. Uh, one of the things that you noticed in those videos is that the water was very calm. So, like, don't know if that has anything to do with with being able to see them. Like maybe they're up on the surface a little more and they're they're more visible. You see a fin from way further away than you could on a rough day. Right. Uh, if you saw a big black fin come up and it's blowing 20 and you look out there and you're like, man, I don't know what that was. It was huge. The last thing you're going to think is it was probably an orca. I mean, who knows? It could have been right. like a sailfish jumping weird or doing something weird that you, you hadn't seen before. But when it's calm like that, you can get the binoculars out. You can run it. What is that? Let's run over there and see. And that's probably what happened. You know, nice, but, dude. But nice. that's uh, that's that's a that's a rarity. I don't know. Uh, you know, before they started tagging the great whites, people would say, oh, there's no no great whites down here. And then they tag them and they you see that they come right through Key West Harbor and they go right by Key Largo and they go right by Miami and they go in the rivers in in South Carolina. And like they're there. They're have there. you seen them? Have you seen them? I've never seen one of those either. I want to. I got a guy coming on the podcast that catches them all the time um, out of South Carolina. I'm really interested in having him on the podcast. We're setting that up. Um, but my, my partner saw one, a couple, he's seen a couple and a bunch of the charter fishermen are getting videos of, of great whites going around the, you know, the phone is really amazing. This right. is why I don't really believe in Sasquatch anymore is because I wanted to believe so badly in Sasquatch and with game cameras now, I mean, everybody's got game cameras everywhere. They're, they're hooked up to your phone. You see every picture that's taken. People have phones in their pocket. I feel like if. If there was a Sasquatch out there, we would have gotten a lot of them on game cameras. Absolutely, now, I agree. Right? Absolutely. But I mean, when but they but people take pictures and videos of weird stuff flying through the sky all the time, right? So it's and 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 you know, security cameras catch what they say or UFOs. Maybe it's yes. a comet. Who knows? It's something that you don't know what it is. But that we're catching that all the time. But I, I'm sorry to say, I don't think that Sasquatch is going to make. The I cut. hear you, buddy. I hear you. <laughs> all right, Coach. Uh, tell them how they can follow you and uh, make contact with you if they want to. A thousand percent. At Coach HP on all social handles. Let me know you're coming here from my man, Tom. I got you. I'll help you guys in any way I can. I answer all all my DMs. 
Remember, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is effort and attitude. You got to keep going hard and do your thing. Tom's going to take me fishing one day. Yeah. I'm going to watch him fish, and then I'm, I'm not going to go on the boat. It's not going to go up and down, unless the day the orcas. <laughs> the day the orcas goes, the day I'm going to go out there where it's nice and flat. So next we're going to do shore fishing or Next time or I come to else. Miami, we're going to go to lunch. Yes, sir. A thousand percent, my man. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Thank you for being on. Thank you so much.